Hi listeners, welcome back to Motivate, the Motivation Inspiration Podcast. I'm your host, Dahi D, and today's guest is Rich Roll talking about all of his life stories from failures to successes. I chose today's episode because I think it's a great opportunity to really view success from a different angle. So many people really spend their time thinking success is just all of the right breaks and all of the right luck, but I think Rich really points out that Pain was really what separated him. The ability to tolerate more pain than others, to do things that people weren't, to get into the gym earlier and stay later, to do the work that no one else wanted to do. That really helped him become successful. That's it for me today. I hope you all enjoy today's episode. Thanks for listening. Most people, to echo the words of Henry David Thoreau, are, are, are leading lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. And I find that tragic. And so if there's anything that my work is about, it's about helping people become cognizant of that and to take action so that they don't become that person leading a life of quiet desperation, which I think a lot of people are. And, and I find that heartbreaking. You know, what's your major malfunction right now? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? Who do you resent the most? What are you afraid of? What do you want to achieve? What's in the, what's in, what do you think is in your way? I'm not here to tell you what to do or how to live your life, but I believe in your greatest expression, and I'm going to hold space for you. I was a daily drinker. I was drinking vodka tonics in the shower in the morning and hiding drinks throughout the day. and you know, ending up in blackouts, and, and I burned every bridge that I had. Uh, I was virtually unemployable at the end. I was sleeping on a bare mattress in a crappy apartment with no furniture in it. Uh, my options were, had been eliminated. My life was eviscerated. My family didn't want anything to do with me. I'd lost my friendships. I had no way forward, uh, and I just continued to dig that hole deeper and deeper and deeper. When I was 39 years old, on the cusp of turning 40, I was 50 pounds overweight. I had been an athlete in college, but that was very much in my rearview mirror. It was in my past. I was a junk food addict, not taking care of myself physically, mentally, or emotionally. And I had a health scare shortly before my 40th birthday. I decided to change my life. It didn't happen overnight. On the one hand, uh, I love pain. I love trying to push the outer edges of the envelope of what the pain experience is in a physical sense. Um, And it's also been my greatest teacher in terms of things that I've accomplished, but also um, my errant ways as well. Pain is truly the only thing that's ever gotten me to change. Uh, So it's been my growth accelerator as well as my reminder of when I've gone astray. I mean, I was a very awkward, insecure kid uh, who had a lot of difficulty um, making friends and and figuring out what the rules for, for life were. And I was also somebody who was not athletically inclined at all. Um, I was the kid with the eye patch and the headgear, picked last for kickball and all of that. Uh, but the one thing that I was actually fairly okay at was swimming. And when you're good at something when you're a kid and, and you're having difficulty in other areas, that's what you're going to gravitate towards. And, and that's what I did. 
And I learned um, quickly that I was not the most talented swimmer. Um, but in my early teens, I realized that if I was willing to put in the work and do certain things that other people weren't willing to do, that I could bridge that talent gap and pick up a lot of white space. Uh, and that meant getting comfortable with pain, to bring it back to your question. So throughout my teens, I would, I would routinely throw down crazy sets in the pool that no one was willing to do. And I was doing it because I knew I wasn't the most talented. And if I wanted to compete at the highest level, that's what would be required. How did you go in school? You're being bullied at one point. Um, you see this opportunity to get better. What do you start telling yourself or doing to be able to make pain your friend, to push past it so that you could begin to you know, beat other people at something? It's almost like a deep meditative state. And it's a very one-to-one you know, one -one relationship between the pain that you're willing to suffer and the progress that you're going to make. And I saw swimming as my way forward and my way out. Uh, and so what that meant was the more that I was willing to suffer, the more likely it would be that I was going to create a positive trajectory out of this painful scenario that I found myself in. I would have a vision board where I'd, I'd literally write those times out in very large block letters with a magic marker and put them above my bed or on my mirror uh, in my bathroom and constantly reminding myself and reinforcing myself about why I was doing what I was doing. So I don't know that I would have called it a vision board at that time. It was more of a practice of, of um, engaging in, in in aspiration, like I had pictures of all my heroes and all of that, and I think uh, intuitively I was looking towards a better life for myself. I was somebody who, who uh, by the time I was 18 years old, uh, was an individual who had a lot of promise, and there was a lot of people very invested in my future. I was graduate. I graduated top of my class in high school. I got into all the colleges I applied to, all the Ivy Leagues. I was a top-ranked swimmer, um, competing at the very highest level, world ranked, the whole deal. Uh, and so my future looked very bright. And then alcohol got introduced to my life, and it was a very progressive uh, decline in my aspirations. And at the very end, I was a daily drinker. I was drinking vodka tonics in the shower in the morning and hiding drinks throughout the day and you know, ending up in blackouts and more than you know, my fair share of incomprehensible, you know, demoralizing situations. Uh, and I burned every bridge that I had. Uh, I was virtually unemployable at the end. I was sleeping on a bare mattress in a crappy apartment with no furniture in it. Uh, my options were, had been eliminated. My life was eviscerated. My family didn't want anything to do with me. I'd lost my friendships. I had no way forward. Uh, and I just continued to dig that hole deeper and deeper and deeper until one day I had that moment that you hear with people who are in recovery, that, that moment of clarity where I realized I just couldn't live this way any longer. My elevator had you know, gone down to the bottom floor. And, uh, and, the, and, and I met my pain threshold, you know, back to the, 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 this thesis around pain. Like I had um, reached a point where I could no longer tolerate the pain of my current situation. And the fear, the pain associated with the fear of change was eclipsed by the pain that I was feeling in that moment. And that's what motivated me to change. I went to a treatment center. 
where I lived for 100 days, which is a pretty long time to be in a rehab center. And I did that because I knew if I didn't get this right, that my life was done. You know? And so I took that opportunity seriously. I recognized that despite the fact that I think I'm a smart guy, my best thinking had me uh, literally institutionalized. And that if I couldn't get a grasp on how to live and develop some new skills and, and a new toolbox for how to approach my life, that, um, that I was gonna end up in jail or I was gonna kill somebody else or myself. Um, I think for me, it's really anchored in awareness and presence, you know. On that staircase, I was able to really understand that I was having an important moment in my life. And the reason I was able to recognize that was because I had that moment so many years prior when I decided to get sober. It was a very specific moment in time where I made a decision and that decision set in motion a series of events that changed my life so completely that I couldn't imagine my life had I not made that decision. Um, and I was able to see and understand and recognize that once again I was being visited by just such an opportunity. It was something that I could feel inside of me. And, and I think it's because I'd learned to be present, to be aware of myself and my environment. Um, and one thing I always talk about is the fact that, you know, I, I'm not anything special with this. I think we're all visited with moments like this in our life, that if we can develop that, uh, the wherewithal to have the awareness around the circumstances surrounding whatever event it is, that you can leverage that crack you know, in the door to make some significant changes. Um, and I'm somebody who, and I've heard you talk about this before, I'm somebody who, who when I make a decision, like that's it, you know, I can, I can step over that line or walk through that door and not look back. Like I can be determined, be focused enough and diligent enough and dedicated enough to leverage those moments when I make that decision to really make significant changes that, that stick and stand the test of time. I mean, for me, I try to keep it as simple as possible. Um, it's about making a decision. And when I make a decision, that decision is done. I've done it with diet, I've done it with fitness, I've done it with my profession. And the more simple I can make it, then the easier it is to adhere. Uh, you know, we're so conditioned, Tom, to avoid pain. Every message that we see, every billboard we see, every advertisement that we're exposed to is telling us that happiness can be, can be purchased through comfort, through luxury, through ease. Um, and that's sort of implicit in that is that that's how we find happiness. And I can tell you that I'm happiest and most alive when I'm butting up against the outer edges of my pain threshold. And I'm not afraid of it. Uh, and so when I start to feel that sensation, rather than shirk away from it, I realize that's an opportunity to um, experience uh, a heightened sense of myself and my environment, to, to really um, be in a position where everything else falls away and it's just you and your ability to take one step forward, there's a purity to that that, again, is an, another great teacher. And so in terms of techniques, um, I've just learned through experience that just like David Goggins says, when the signals that you're receiving are telling you to stop, that you don't necessarily have to pay attention to that, that, that you are capable of so much more.
Uh, if you can develop the acuity, the presence of mind, and the wherewithal to then take that next step, and when you're on the other side of it, to realize you're still okay, and you can take another step, and a whole your, your horizon extends, and you realize that there's a whole world of potential and possibility available to you that you weren't previously aware of. Uh, no, I definitely didn't. I've been a corporate lawyer for many years. I was a corporate lawyer during the period of time that I wrote that book. Uh, and the book was successful, and yet in the wake of that book being published and doing well, um, the phone didn't ring. And I had uh, let my bar, bar membership lapse, and here I was, you know, ready and available to speak to the world and, and uh, be of service, and the opportunities just weren't flowing. It was a very difficult time, and it, it, it tested me um, to my core. I mean, we almost lost our house. I had cars repossessed. We couldn't pay our bills. It was very emasculating. But I think the, the alchemy of going through that has been something that now allows me to speak from a place of, of, of greater truth and, and depth with what I do. So I'm, I'm grateful for the experience. The part that really hit me was when you said that you guys couldn't even pay for your trash to yeah. be taken away. And they could, that's when I realized, okay, wait, this wasn't like, a, oh, things are tight. Mm -hmm. Uh, this was like, we can't pay $60 for our garbage to be picked up. It was the worst. I mean, it's that... so embarrassing. It, 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 it was so incredibly emasculating. Yeah, we went through periods where we literally barely had enough money to put food on the table. And we couldn't pay, our, we couldn't pay to have our, our trash removed. And they did. They came and they took the bins. And then we were compelled to then put our trash in the back of our crappy, uh, beat up minivan and find an empty dumpster to, do, to, to, dump the, to dump the garbage. It was, it was not easy, man. So I have four kids and it's something that was very challenging as a parent. And again, I keep using the word emasculating as somebody who, who you know, is supposed to be the head of household and, and take care of these sorts of things, to be unable to do that. Uh, was incredibly difficult. I worked my ass off and exploited every opportunity that presented itself. Uh, I did a ton of speaking gigs for free. I did anything that was asked of me, anyone who would want to talk to me, but it was really just a function of showing up, working my ass off, saying yes, and having a strong core belief that I was on the right path. I was somebody who, who for as long as I could remember, was pursuing the traditional notion of the American dream. Get into the best college, study hard, get into the best grad school, get the best job, show up early, stay late, partnership track, all of that, right? But that I'd never really stopped to think, what is important to me? Like, who am I? And like, what am I here to express? And I didn't have answers for those questions. All I knew was that I felt like I was living someone else's life. And so my exploration in sobriety and ultimately then in ultra endurance sports was really my personal method of trying to resolve these issues for myself to try to learn who I am. You know one thing you talk about all the time is goals, setting goals and being very clear about what those goals are. I think that that most people set the wrong goals for themselves and it's because they're disconnected from who they are. 
they are living someone else's life or they're living a life that's so disconnected from who they are, it becomes very difficult to set the right goal. So I think in order to reconcile that, you have to look inward. You know, and that can be different for everybody. That can mean a consistent meditation practice. That can mean therapy. That can mean uh, you know, starting to do yoga. It can mean many, many things. But I think there's no uh, end run around the very difficult, long process of really trying to be honest with yourself about who you are, what's important to you, what you care about, and then beginning to breathe life into those things, as frivolous as they may seem, to bring expression to the things that, that you do care about, that, that, that get you excited in the morning. And that doesn't mean you quit your job tomorrow, but the more you can uh, foster something that has personal importance to you, uh, I think that's the first step in trying to um, move past whatever it is that's holding you back, whether it's professionally or, or personally, uh, to being a more integrated, authentic version of yourself. We're all spiritual beings having a human experience. And I don't mean that in any specific dogmatic sense, certainly not in any specific religious sense, but I do, what I do mean by that is that uh, there's more to this experience of being human than meets the eye. There's more to it than we can possibly comprehend. Uh, and I think there are energies available to us if we open our perspective and become more curious about the world than I think we're programmed to be. So for me, that doesn't... I don't define that by any particular uh, specific spiritual approach other than that it provides my experience as a human being with a little bit more awe and wonder than I used to have. You know, as somebody who, as I explained earlier, as a young person, I did the math and I realized if I outwork everybody in the pool, uh, I can be as good as anyone else. If I outwork everyone in the classroom, I can graduate at the top of my class and get into Stanford and Harvard. And so my worldview was informed through the prism of those experiences, which taught me self-reliance is everything. Don't, uh, don't expect anybody to do anything for you. I'm the only one who can get it done. And if you just buckle down and go the extra mile, you will solve the problem and you will make your way in the world. Every success that I had had in my life was a result of my self-will. Why won't my self-will solve this problem? And that hole got deeper and deeper and deeper until I was a completely broken human being. And I had to raise my hand and ask for help for the first time. And that forced me to start to think about letting go and surrender in a new way. And I've come to believe and understand that surrender is a very powerful, courageous thing to do. It's okay to say you don't know. It's okay to ask for help. I had to let go of this operating system and step into uh, a sense that perhaps there's a better way, a greater way that involves me saying, I can't control this, which was terrifying for me. But it is in that process that I allowed people to help me, that I became open to a new way of approaching my life that has made me stronger, more powerful, more capable, and more successful than I ever thought that I ever would be.
It goes back to what I was saying before about people picking the wrong goals for themselves because they're not integrated. They don't know what their values are. They're not clear on what's important to them. They're not really in contact with their internal muse. You know, one of the examples I always give is this idea that we all have some unique song here to sing on planet Earth. Like, I, I believe that. And that doesn't mean that everybody can be LeBron James or that you have some insane talent. But I believe that there is a unique blueprint to every individual. And our job here, uh, you know, in our short time on this planet is to discover what that is and to work towards expressing that to the best of your ability. You know, we all have a unique song. And I think most people, to echo the words of Henry David Thoreau, are, are, are leading lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with the song still in them. And I find that tragic. And so if there's anything that, um, that, that my work is about, it's about helping people become cognizant of that and to take action so that they don't become that person leading a life of quiet desperation, which I think, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't want to say most people, but a lot of people are. And, and I find that heartbreaking. If you're, if you're eating garbage food, if you're eating fast food and you're not sleeping and you're, you know, drinking five cups of coffee a day or whatever it is you're doing and you're stressed out about your job and you're just living moment to moment to get through the day, do you think that you're going to be in touch with whatever is really important to you? You're just trying to like, you know, hit the pillow at night and pay the bills. And that's most people. And if you give people a minute to pause and reflect, and you can clear all of that out and feed them healthy food and give them a good night's rest and ask them questions that most people aren't asking them, and they're certainly not asking them themselves, I think that's the process that begins or sets in motion the, the gears in the mind and in the emotional body to begin to bring all of that to the surface. You know, what's your major malfunction right now? What's the thing that keeps you up at night? Who do you resent the most? What are you afraid of? What do you want to achieve? What's in the, what's in, what do you think is in your way? You know, I think just by asking people questions and, 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 and then holding a vision for that better life for them to say, I believe in you. I'm not here to tell you what to do or how to live your life, but I believe in your greatest expression and I'm gonna hold space for you. To give people permission to be honest, to be vulnerable. We're so afraid of being vulnerable. We're terrified of being honest. We're so used to being judged and being held to a standard that society sets for us that we don't give ourselves permission to even ask these questions, let alone answer them. I would like to move the needle in a substantial and long-lasting way for as many people as possible with respect to not only how they think about and practice habits around food and fitness and lifestyle, but to really catalyze people to understand that, like I said earlier, all of us, every single one of us, is capable of so much more than we allow ourselves to believe. And I know that's a theme on your show. David Goggins talked about it. James Lawrence talked about it. These are friends of mine who have touched the outer realms of endurance, and ultra-endurance teaches you that. 
It's easy to say I'm an outlier, but I'm not. I really am not anything special. I had the courage and the audacity to pursue these things, and in so doing, I have realized that human potential is malleable. We're all sitting atop massive reservoirs of untapped potential and ability. And my dream and my goal and everything that I do is oriented around getting people to not only understand that, but connect with that and begin to practice that, to manifest that in their own specific way.